to Berlin. And beyond. To Berlin and beyond. Hey, hey, hey. It's your girl Sam coming at you from Berlin, Germany. It is Thursday, March the 11th. Yesterday was beautiful and sunny and gorgeous. Still cold. Still cold, but sun. And today it is rain, 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 rain. April showers? We're not even in April yet. Are we in April? No, we're in March. (laughs) We're in March. Yep. March showers and April showers bring May flowers. I was supposed to be doing a fancy chocolate tasting virtually today, but I just realized that I never got my chocolate package. So I went and looked up the tracking number and plugged it into DHL, and they said they tried to deliver it on March the 2nd, which, um, okay, I don't know, I wasn't anywhere but here, uh, and they couldn't deliver it, and so they have returned it to sender. So my chocolate is not here, and I cannot do the chocolate tasting, and it just infuriates me further with the package situation, the delivery situation in this country. It is terrible. So farewell, fancy chocolate from the UK. (laughs) I hope that somebody enjoys you somewhere. I also hope I get my money back. While I'm on a rant, I was on the subway yesterday, the U-Bahn, and Everyone was very good about like spacing out every other seat. You know, nobody is telling us to do this. It's just like it's Corona times. Like, don't sit directly next to another person. Okay. Well, this young boy, probably a teenager, but large, large like a full grown man, comes and sits in my empty seat on my left. So he's between me and another woman, I think. And he is large. And he is not trying to squish into the size of the seat. Nope. He doesn't care that his shoulders and arms are touching me and the woman next to me. Next to next to me. He doesn't care that he is boy spreading and his legs are touching both of our legs. Oh, it's so infuriating. I wanted to say things to him, but I didn't want to say anything to him and make a scene. But I swear, if you are raising children, especially boys, make sure that they are actually aware and conscious of the people around them and conscientious. Please, if you are procreating, raise conscientious children because we need conscientious adults and we don't have enough of them. All right, rant over. Let's go on to Josephine Baker. This will actually be the last part of her story. (laughs) We'll actually reach the end of it, I promise. Um, So yesterday, we reached the point where she had returned to Europe brokenhearted because America was racist, piece of crap, and didn't treat her very well. The FBI put her on a watch list and she lost her U.S. citizenship. Mm -hmm. Not exactly sure how that happened and how it was reinstated, but we'll just take it at its word. So when she got back to Europe, she decided to go on a speaking tour about anti-racism because she wanted to play a part in changing the way the world thought about race. 
So she tours Europe, she tours South America, she meets and befriends Evita, Eva Perón, and her husband. She meets Fidel Castro. Um, she is highly political and she's super involved with the global push for freedom and liberty. So the Cold War, um, anything where a country was fighting for freedom or fighting for the rights of the people, like she was involved with it. In 1947, she married a Frenchman, another Frenchman, an orchestra leader. His name was Joe. And he helped her raise her 12 adopted children. This is where we get into (laughs) another very interesting part and slightly controversial part of Josephine Baker's life. Okay, so she called her 12 adopted children the Rainbow Tribe. And her idea for all of this was that she wanted to be a mother to the world, a mother of the world. So she purposefully wanted to have kids from all different countries. And in the end, she ended up hiring an agent who found children all over the world and she adopted them. So there was a child from Japan, a child from Venezuela, a child from Morocco, Belgium, Finland, and more. She had a huge estate in France and she just raised her kids with Joe, um, which could almost be normal, except she decided to open it up to the public, her house, into like a theme park kind of thing where she was showing off her interracial, intercultural family. (laughs) So um, they were just doing normal family things, but people could pay to watch them live. Like, oh, here's a Moroccan child sitting on his bed watching, I mean, not his iPad, but like, oh, what did they do back then? I don't know, playing hopscotch, like rolling marbles, whatever they did, (laughs) they had people watching them. And her children would later go on to say that they resented this. (laughs) Can you blame them? So (laughs) eventually in 1963, Bobby Kennedy, who was the U.S. Attorney General, decides to let Baker back into the U.S., So she comes back and she is invited to speak at the March on Washington. And this is when all the big civil rights things are happening. She speaks in her French military uniform right before Martin Luther King Jr. And this is her quote, one of her quotes from her speech. I have walked into palaces of kings and queens and into houses of presidents and much more, but I could not walk into a hotel in America and get a cup of coffee. And that made me mad. And when I get mad, you know what? I open my big mouth and then look out because when Josephine opens her mouth, they hear it all over the world. Mm -hmm. So she is an often forgotten and overlooked part of the March on Washington because Martin Luther King Jr. got all of the, all of the eyeballs and all of the earballs All the balls were on Martin Luther King Jr. and his speech. So now we are going to wrap up her story. Um, It doesn't, it doesn't end on, uh, it sort of ends on a happy note. So by 1969, she's broke. She is thrown out of her theme park home. 
um, she calls up Fidel Castro and he sends her a box of Cuban fruit, <laughs> random. And then uh, Princess Grace Kelly ends up giving Josephine a house and raising the funds for Josephine to have a big review in Paris. So a big like coming back party. It premiered in 1975. She was 68 years old and she got rave reviews. The reviewers said she had more energy than dancers half her age. Four days later, she died, literally surrounded by her positive reviews. Newspaper clippings everywhere, dead in her bed. And that is the story of Josephine Baker. (laughs) And I just think it's wild. (laughs) Oh, man. If I could only live half of the life that Josephine Baker did, I think I would die happy. I mean, hopefully I'll die happy anyway, but (laughs) like, oh, can you imagine? Okay, now I will send you off into your Thursday with uh, happy thoughts of Josephine Baker. And, oh, 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 question of the day. If you are to die surrounded by newspaper clippings that were talking about you, what would they say? I would love to know this. What would you want people to be writing about you as you died, when you died, on your deathbed, before you died, after you died? Whatever. What do you want to be known for? Um, You can hit me up on Twitter or Instagram, or you can leave me a voice message. All of these links are in the show notes. I hope you have a great day. Make the most of it, even if it's raining. And I will talk to you tomorrow. Bye. This has been to Berlin and beyond to Berlin and beyond.